there are some needs that we share due to our collective social experience, and there are some needs that we do not share. Each and every classroom space, each and every office space, each and every corner of the university should be a place where all of us can say, I belong. We belong when we find our needs being met. That is equity. That is the call of each of us as educators. That's our call as parents, our call as citizens, our call as human beings. From Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana, it's Techies Today, the Purdue Polytechnic Podcast. I'm John O. Equity is not about treating everybody the same or about being fair. John Gates, Purdue's Vice Provost for Diversity and Inclusion, says that equity in diversity, equity, and inclusion is about providing people what they need to succeed, even if that means treating people differently. Parents endeavor to love their children equally, but treat them uniquely according to their individual needs. What we do innately in our lives, Dr. Gates says, is what we should do in our classrooms and offices. He says measurement of diversity, equity, and inclusion should not be percentages or statistics. Instead, it should be about how well we value our people as individuals and how well our community meets each person's needs. LaVon Esters, Purdue Polytechnic's Associate Dean of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, asked Dr. Gates about how we can learn to think differently as needed to help everyone at Purdue feel that they belong. With John Gates, here's LaVon Esters. You recently shared how creating a sense of belonging is your theme for this academic school year. So, so what does this involve and how do you see faculty, staff, and students helping to support this type of effort? Yeah. Thanks for that question, LaVon. I think that belonging is essential for each and every person at Purdue and beyond, right? Uh, it's the essential human need to feel connected to something. To me, belonging asks three fundamental questions. The first is, do I feel like I belong? An intrinsic feeling. The second one is, do I see the fullness of my potential coming into being here? Can I, can I get to where I'm supposed to be from this place? And the third one is, am I supported or nurtured to get to that potential? So who's got my back, right? Everyone here should be able to say, I feel like I belong. I see the fullness of my potential coming into being here. And there are people who uh, support and nurture me to reach that potential. That's the goal. I would also add that when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, and we ask, what is the real goal of these things, right? A heightened sense of belonging, uh, I think, would be one of those goals. So how do you, in your role, how you measure or determine whether or not faculty, staff, and students feel as though they belong? How, how would, because I imagine there are folks that would be interested in knowing that. Sure. There are belonging measurements. So uh, a measurement is coming out by uh, teaching and learning, uh, undergraduate education, to measure the belonging of undergraduate students. We'll expand that uh, along as well. 
There are efforts in inclusive advising uh, that will be happen to, uh, and we can measure uh, students' sense of belonging through the advisement uh, that they get and how they feel. We have just launched an inclusive appreciative inquiry uh, analysis to ask black boilermakers in particular, faculty, staff, and students, uh, how they feel a sense of belonging or connectedness to the university. So a number of, of measures. Uh, we also have the coach surveys that, uh, that occur for faculty, the CIRU data. And so some of this will be measured over the course of time as well. Okay, good. I appreciate that. Thinking about in terms of culture and climate, so what has experience taught you about effectively changing culture and climate within higher education institutions, particularly related to equitable treatment and a sense of belonging? Yeah. One thing that I've learned is that an institution has to be intentional about the work. It is nice to say that we are equitable. Uh, it is much more difficult to do the self-interrogation to ensure that that is in fact the case. So change can be difficult. I have always or consistently said in my more mature life that the way one changes an institution is through love rather than hate or antipathy, right? That people need to be able to hear you and to find a reasoned place to move forward, right? So often when we, we fail to hear each other when we fail to engage people in a sense of collective understanding, collective decision-making, uh, those kinds of things. I think we hold onto the values of the institution. It's one thing that I would like to see happen more at Purdue. We have some very strong institutional values that can lead us forward. Our values are honor, integrity, inclusion, respect, growth, innovation, right? Those things can hold us together uh, in the midst of difficult and interesting change. With regard to DEI, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, what I find is that, and what I found in coming here, was that there are many, many people who are really committed to the work, uh, who are themselves change agents, and who didn't find necessarily a receptivity from uh, the university generally, right? I hope that is beginning to change. One of the first elements of change that I tried to introduce here was for us to stop deficit framing blackness, for instance, right? Look at stories that associate with black boilermakers and it, all true stories of overcoming difficulties, but difficult to find stories about black scholarship, black research, uh, research done by black scholars and the like. There was a need to asset frame who we are. Likewise, I try to asset frame the university in change management, right? It's easy to deficit frame the university for what we haven't done. Uh, I try to remind the university of what we have done what our founding history is and why we should do things more or differently. That can be compelling, right? Another way to help change institutions is by calling forward to our realities the needs of our employers, right? We are producing a workforce for the nation and for the world. Our employers have expectations that we deliver students, uh, workers, with certain competencies. We need to practice those competencies ourselves. Uh, 
we now have new requirements by the federal government to evidence our our success uh, and our efforts in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Those requirements can be pillars for change uh, at an institution as well. And then some change needs to uh, bubble up from the ground. There is still and always will be a need for collective and self-advocacy and to hear the voices of those folks who, whose voices have not been heard as well. And so change comes in a number of ways, but it should come. So, of course, you're familiar with the University Innovation Alliance and Purdue's being a member. So, of course, you know, they also, UIA has a focus on supporting the needs of first-generation students. So can you share how your office supports this focus area, that is, the focus on first-gen students? Sure. We're very much part of the week celebration, although we don't have responsibility for first-gen initiatives directly. Each of the cultural centers supports first-generation students. The cultural centers, Latinx, Black, LGBTQ, plus the Asian and Asian American and the Native American cultural centers all have first-generation students that they support. Moreover, we have a couple of important programs, the Emerging Leaders Scholars Program, which is fairly heavily populated with first-generation students, uh, as well as the LSAM program around research that often provides underrepresented minority students and first-generation students with their first real access points to doing uh, research and universities or outside of that. So we're deeply involved all around. Uh, Another important thing, I think, is that we've done significant research on the success trajectories of every population of student at Purdue uh, over a 10-year period, including first-generation students. So we are able to see and track the success trajectories of first-gen students, hiccups in various courses that are systematic, right? even down to uh, where the best living accommodations are to support a higher level GPA, right? So there's lots of data. The institution, Purdue, uh, recently took on first-generation students as a university-level initiative, and I think that's within the last two or three years, actually. So we have some work to do. The efforts are highly localized, and uh, at the same time, the university uh, is putting its arms around first-gen as a population. Okay. Of course, you're familiar also with the Purdue Polytechnic High Schools. So based on your observations, you know, as long as you've been here now at Purdue, what do you think Purdue's colleges can do to better support the PPHS, the high schools, as well as students who matriculate from the high schools to Purdue University? Yeah, important question that I may frame a little bit differently or apply to, uh, reply to a little bit differently. The whole university. Every college has opened its doors widely to Purdue Polytechnic High School students. My office is engaged with them deeply as well, and they are wonderful young people coming to Purdue. I am fairly positive that the necessary support systems and nurturing systems either have been put in place or are being put in place now across the university. One of the things that we can best do is to help Purdue Polytechnic high schools best prepare the students for life at Purdue, uh, for the rigors of our curriculum, 
for the change in environment, and we began that over the summers with Polytechnic High School students. We have a number of one-week, one-credit programs that we invite the underclassmen to, 9th, 10th, and 11th graders. We have a summer pre-entry program that we invite all accepted or admitted Polytechnic High School students to attend, uh, where they are engaged in coursework and earning their first credits, up to nine credit hours, engaged in a learning community, as well as supportive activities. So that part is happening. We also work with the high schools themselves through recruitment and the like. We speak with parents. I think parent engagement is important. One of the things that we might consider and that I have heard people begin to talk about is in educating Purdue Polytechnic High School students, invite the entire family to be educated, right? Uh, what are we doing for the parents to support their educational nurturing, um, right? We expect a great deal of parents, uh, many of whom have not gone to college, right, and may not have access to some of the, uh, the resources, uh, and not including knowledge that's uh, really important finding a way for the parents to become intimately involved in learning and growth as uh, human, human beings themselves, as individuals themselves, along with their students, uh, might be one of the best ways that we can support uh, the Polytechnic High School students going forward as well. So, you know, you and I have talked about this topic uh, many times, which is this notion of increasing faculty diversity. So. Uh, as you know, increasing faculty diversity has been something of a struggle in all of our colleges and for that matter across the United States yeah. of the institutions. Can you talk for a moment about plans you have in place to address this issue? Sure, sure. So many people may know that uh, after the murder of George Floyd, mm -hmm. Purdue University, a number of universities and corporations uh, took a look at the state of black participation, engagement and success. We did as well. The Board of Trustees called forward an equity task force to look at the Black Boilermaker experience and asked us to do a number of things as a university over the next five years. I think the horizon is going to be longer than five years right. because right. these things take some time. Among those things is to increase black faculty numbers. We have a faculty, blacks represent about 2.8% of the faculty at Purdue. And to put that in some raw numbers, right? We think of tenure and tenure track faculty, so those that have, um, you know, relatively permanent position, right? In, I believe it was 2000, year 2021, something like that, perhaps 21, we had 1,919 tenured and tenure track faculty at Purdue. Of that number, 59, we're black, right? And so we're talking very small numbers. We introduced through the Equity Task Force a, a number of cluster hires that we hope will help to diversify the faculty more, uh, black and others. The first cluster was in public health, health equity, and health policy. There were 14 lines. We have filled 11 of those lines, and I'm happy to say that a number of black leading scholars will be joining or have joined Purdue this year. So that's one thing. We have a uh, series of three cluster hires that will happen. One happened last year. There is a cluster hire happening this year, and there'll be another one next year. So. 40 lines, uh, that is academic positions, dedicated to that. 
I hope and assume uh, that a number of those folks will be of diverse backgrounds. So that's one thing. I think the most positive thing that I can say, though, is that our conversations with the faculty across Purdue and all colleges over the past few years is yielding some really good results. We hired at least as many black faculty outside of the cluster searches as we did uh, in the cluster this year. That is a record. So things are looking up. We have to have the intentionality. What we've discovered, Levon, is that with intentionality, people gather uh, and they come to the table, right? Absent that intentionality, people often scatter. We need the gathering. Yeah. yeah. So similar to that question, uh, and this is something that I've noticed in my career that we often don't talk enough about, but how can we address issues related to improving our staff diversity? Yeah, tough issue here and everywhere. Too little focus has been placed on staff, yeah. right? Yeah. There is usually a focus on students and faculty, right, right. those that uh, learn and those that teach. Yeah. Staff are the people that help make the entire yes. operation work. Right. Again, through the Equity Task Force, there's a focus on black staff. Mm-hmm. And so the Office of Human Resources has put together a new mentoring, professional development mm-hmm. mentoring program called Develop Me 2.0, where it has invited principally black, but all staff, to uh, have their careers co-developed with them. That's an important thing around professional growth and uh, giving people a reason to want to stay, frankly. There's also been the hiring of a diversity recruiter in HR. So the first we've had that we know of in an official capacity, and uh, it has yielded good results as well. I'm happy to say that four leading administrators uh, have joined Purdue this year who are African-American or black. Mm -hmm. So the head of PUSH, the Mm -hmm. Purdue University Health System, is black. The deputy athletics director, um, who has, you know, real significance in the sports world, uh, particularly the NFL, uh, is here. She's a phenomenal woman (laughs) indeed. And a baller maker, right, Uh, has returned. The new director for security of PARI, the Purdue Applied uh, Research Center, Mm -hmm. really covers our most top secret and other technologies, is here. He has a background coming from the White House and other spaces, uh, so he handles our security clearances. And there are others, Mm -hmm. right? So we see growth happening. We have, this year, gone from 2.8% black staff to 3% black staff. We can see material movement there. And we have introduced the ability to work virtually. Um, So we expect to have people in Indianapolis and Chicago and maybe even in California, Mm -hmm. uh, who knows, working for Purdue. So the aperture for working here is open more broadly, Mm -hmm. and we hope that that will benefit diversity. So how do you help create an ethos of equity-mindedness within departments and colleges? Yeah. So... The first thing, and perhaps the main thing, is helping people understand what equity-mindedness is, right? right. Uh, People think 
that equity mindedness, some people think it's about fairness, right? right? right. And I'm a faculty member, I've got a big class, we've got to treat everybody right. the same, this has right. to be fair, right. 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 right? That is not what we're talking right. about. Right. Equity in diversity, equity, and inclusion right. is providing people what they need to succeed. Right. And in fact, treating people differently yes. to provide them what they need to exactly. succeed. Well, how on earth can I do that, right? right? Well, we do it every day, yeah. Levon, right? You're a father. Yes. Uh, you have uh, more than one daughter, yes. right? You love them all the same, right. but they're different people. They are. And you provide each of them what they need in order to thrive. That yeah. is what we do as parents, exactly. as human beings. Yeah. We all deserve to have our needs met in that regard, whether they are our educational needs, our social needs, our humanity needs, mm -hmm. right? And as an institution, we should dare not welcome, invite and welcome 50,000 students whose needs we cannot provide. Mm -hmm. So it is something that we do innately in our lives every day. We can do the same thing in our classrooms every day look at students and as, co as colleagues as well, as individuals, as human beings. There are some needs that we share due to our collective social experience, and there's some needs that we do not share. Each and every classroom space, each and every office space, each and every corner of the university should be a place where all of us can say, I belong, right? We belong when we find our needs being met. That is equity. That is the call of each of us as educators. That's our call as parents, our call as citizens, our call uh, as human beings. What advice would you give or how would you counsel faculty and staff who say, John, you know, this, this notion that you offer up on equity mining is it's too much work to try to meet the needs of 30 different individuals of a classroom. That's too much work. How would you respond to something like that? Because the person may not just know. Right, right. Well, we don't need to take equity outside of the domain in which we are responsible. So it's equity in learning, mm -hmm. equity in classroom participation, right. right? Who's engaged and who's not engaged, right? right? Who is doing well on exams, who's perhaps needs more support in exams to bring their scores up? Who do we nurture, right, right uh, in the classroom? Who do we say you can do it uh, versus not? Equity is a collective responsibility. It's also an individual responsibility. There is a requirement of the student or of uh, the person who needs equity to state what their needs are right. as exactly. well. So we need to invite students to tell us what they need within the context of the classroom and of the work we are doing. And we need to offer them the, the kind of schedule, the framework right. uh, by which to have their needs met. And if there are things that they need that aren't prescripted, mm -hmm. then they have an obligation to tell us. We then have the obligation to try to meet those needs where we find them to be reasonable and within our purview. We cannot be all things to all people, right. but we must be all things that are necessary within the work we do for the people we serve. We have that 
human capacity may require us to think a little bit differently, right? Exactly. right? Yeah. In order to function a little bit differently, right. yeah. may require us to listen yeah. more, right? Then speak less. It may require us to observe, mm -hmm. right? Often we can tell where there might be a need yeah. simply by observing. Right. And then there's always the need for an invitation, mm -hmm. right? To make it okay to say, this is what I need. And then to offer that to the student or the other person mm -hmm. uh, and to say, here's your responsibility right. in meeting that need for yourself. Right. So what are the key strategies that work best when encouraging buy-in from colleges when you roll out new diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives? And I guess the second part to that is, what difficulties do you run into uh, most often? There is a fundamental question that must be asked and answered in getting buy-in from colleges, central diversity, or any initiative. Right. What's in it for me? Right. What's in it for me? Right. <laughs> right. My belief is that in diversity, equity, and inclusion, our job is to support the colleges, which really have most of the hands-on, on-the-ground experience and responsibility uh, in working with students, faculty, and staff, right? So we should be a supportive measure for colleges. That's one thing. We should add value to what's happening in the colleges, and we should be able to kind of unite things across the university, so to add a sense of cohesion and purpose. When those things are operating together, uh, we have the beginnings of a win. It's also important to be able to develop uh, or deliver resources mm. to the initiatives right. that one asks uh, colleges to engage in because resources are frankly so tight and right. we ask so very much of the colleges. Those things are important. And then we need to demonstrate how what we are asking has the possibility of lifting either populations within the university or the entire university mm. collective. It's the idea that we are stronger together uh, than we are apart. I very much appreciate the individuality of every college, the autonomy of every college, and also recognize that there are some things that are just bigger than any individual college that we need uh, to do. And that's where I think the associate deans for diversity and inclusion group, the group that you're on, right, right. Uh, become so very, very important in helping us to develop the wherewithal to meet the needs of the colleges and the university as a whole. So to what extent, I know myself and others uh, think about this notion of peer comparison. So to what extent do you rely on peer comparisons in your line of work? And then secondarily, what are some things you learn when comparing progress in diversity, equity, and inclusion with our peers? I rely on uh, peer comparisons a lot and very little okay. at the same time. Okay. Most of our peer comparisons would be the Big Ten. Right. And uh, by and large, we're in the middle of a pretty bad bunch uh, in terms of DEI outcomes, uh, right? There are a couple of institutions that are outliers right. in the Northeast, right? So you've got Rutgers that is an outlier and perhaps one or two others. But for the most part, those of us that are in the Midwest are not excelling at the level that I would hope that we do. Now, that said, Universities in the Northeast and the and, and the West Coast aren't excelling very well either, right, right. Right? right? So if you look at us, we are 
pretty much in the middle, except in a couple of cases, uh, the bottom third, right? right? So if you look at black faculty numbers, the bottom third, right? So we're comparing ourselves to a pretty dull bunch. What I would like to compare ourselves to is our own value proposition and possibility, right? Building they will come is anathema in the black community, right? right? Right. Building we ain't coming (laughs) unless there's a good value proposition, including an invitation, right? Uh, And perhaps multiple invitations. Purdue has a rich story and rich possibilities in DEI. We have a solid enough value proposition that if we really honed that value proposition, told the story and invited people in, if we did the work of providing equity, which is a lot has to do, it's a lot related to our environment, mm-hmm. to make it a more welcoming place, yeah, right, right. people will come, yeah. right? People ask me, you know, why would black people come to the middle of Indiana and these corn and soybean fields? And I say, you know, these are some of the most well-educated corn and soybean fields in, in the world, right? The question is not, why would they, but why wouldn't they, right? right? I like to tell the story that when I think about black folk, right, in Purdue, Purdue has been a champion, quiet champion of diversity, equity, and inclusion for over 120 years. If people knew the richness of that, right? We were founded in 1869, right? Shortly after the Civil War. Same time as most HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. We graduated our first black student in 1890. College of Pharmacy, second one, 1894, College of Engineering. Then came 1896 in Plessy versus Ferguson. We actively recruited blacks into our undergraduate and graduate programs throughout the 100 years of segregation. Founding home of the National Society of Black Engineers. Think about great business schools, right? Uh, Harvard may come to mind. All the buildings at Harvard B School are named after the former treasurers of the United States, except one, James I. Cash Hall. Jim Cash was the first African-American faculty member to earn tenure at Harvard Business School double boilermaker, mm-hmm. right? Masters in computer science from here, PhD from Craner. We're the number one producer of blacks earning PhD degrees in chemistry among research one institutions, number one in statistics, number one in the Big Ten for blacks earning PhDs over the past five years in computer science. Mm-hmm. Your college, engineering technology, mm-hmm. we're number one in the nation enrolling and educating blacks among Research One institutions. Telling that story is better leverage for changing the face and the environment of Purdue than associated measures at our peer institutions, right? right? So I want to compare Purdue to Purdue's rich history and extraordinary possibility and hold us to a different standard Mm -hmm. that the nation has not yet met. You know, we were on a call this morning and you mentioned just a little bit on this cut in response to my last question about HBCUs, which are under the umbrella of MSIs, minority serving institutions. So what are some best practices we can learn from minority serving institutions that could help us make meaningful progress 
in the value and practice of diversity, equity, inclusion at Purdue. Best thing we can learn from HBCUs about developing a collective environment is where we started from the top, a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. HBCUs causes one to feel yeah. like they belong. Right. Like, not only do they feel it intrinsically, but there's the nurturing and not only the possibility, but an expectation yes. of success and of thriving. The focus on a sense of belonging that engenders a personal commitment, a professional commitment, coupled with an institutional commitment to get you there, right? An unwavering appreciation for individual capabilities right, irrespective of background. Mm -hmm. A belief in the dignity of blackness, right? right? I remember in this particular moment, Lavon, uh, something said to me and to, uh, to many people by John Sylvanus Wilson, mm -hmm. uh, former president of yeah. Morehouse and uh, former director of the White House mm -hmm. Initiative on HBCUs. He says that when he entered Morehouse, as I did, mm -hmm. Morehouse held a crown over his head yeah. that it challenged him to grow tall enough to wear. Yeah. But when he entered Harvard, Harvard held a question mark over its head that it challenged him to remove. In too much of higher education, particularly majority higher education, mm -hmm. there is a big question mark over the heads of black students, mm -hmm. black lives, black scholarship, black dignity, right. right? So whether it's the microaggressions that we hear about, whether it's differential treatment, mm -hmm. whether it's deficit storytelling, right. right? Question mark. Belonging says, that the question mark is no longer over my head, but rather a crown, mm. right? If we can deliver on the promise of the crown, uh, we will have achieved something very, uh, very great uh, at Purdue and beyond. So we've, we've talked about many ways we hope to make Purdue better in the future. Could you perhaps tell us about one or more ways in which things are better now at Purdue than they were just a few years ago, or for that matter, when you first started your role? That's an interesting question. Okay. I think I can tell you many words, right, right. but what I like to do is to ask you, can you tell me one way in which the university is better from the time of my arrival, say 2019, till today? Well, I think clearly for me, I've been here now 14 years uh, for context, just the conversations around DEI and how it's been elevated in the hearts and in the minds of folks and the conversations is something that I see far more often now than when I first started. And that did not occur even prior to when you started. So I think for me, that's probably one of the biggest things I would say that I see and feel just being here as a faculty member and now an administrator. Sure. I would say that there is the beginnings of an enriched attitude change yeah. at the university yeah. all around. Right. Uh, we're not where we want to be, but we're not where we used to be right. either. There is greater resource commitment to DEI work. Uh, the Equity Task Force committed a $75 million down payment mm -hmm. on the work that needs to be done. 
There, is, there are more opportunities for professional development, what uh, some people might call training. Uh, I call professional development. Yeah. So to further enrich our understandings around diversity, equity, and inclusion, there are more opportunities to engage in becoming more opportunities to engage in the life of the university. We are beginning to celebrate black faculty yeah. excellence. Yeah. Uh, we'll celebrate black staff excellence. We begin the year, Levon, with something that I don't think has ever happened in the contemporary history of Purdue. And I say contemporary, meaning the last 50 years. Right. Right. And that is, we started the year with a family dinner, mm-hmm. a family yeah. dinner. Yeah. And this was really about gathering black people uh, and others, right? Mm-hmm. There are here, roughly 125 or so black faculty, or people that hold some sort of faculty rank, and about 203 roughly black staff, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, fewer than 350 black faculty and staff combined out of the many thousands that we have. And we are spread hither and yon all over this massive place. And many of us don't know each other. Right. People have been here for years, don't right. know each other. Right. We expect that, oh, there's so few, you all have to know each other. No, we don't, yeah. right? Right, right, right. We gathered, yeah. us, this year. At the beginning of the year, over 100 people came. People saw each other that they hadn't seen in some time. I met people who've been here for 17 years and right. I hadn't met before. And there's this one thing that happened. I was sitting at a table with a group of folks that included some newcomers. And the director of PUSH was at the table. She's from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. At the next table was Dr. Betty from Agriculture. Mm-hmm. She's also from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. They hadn't met. Mm-hmm. They met each other at the table there and started chatting, discovered that not only they they both from Nigeria, they're from the same town wow. in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. They chatted further and discovered it sounds like we are related. They called back to Nigeria that night uh, while at the dinner and confirmed with their relatives that they, in fact, are related. Wow. Uh, they found family. Wow. They found community. Mm-hmm. They found a deeper sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. I think those small things, right, like that, are as big as some of the big things mm-hmm. that we do. And so I see life changing. At Purdue, again, we are not where we want to be or what we ought to be, but there is movement here Mm -hmm. that is for the better, Mm -hmm. I think, and I hope that the university will sustain and grow that over the course of time. So I have one final question. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you would like to share? Anything at all? Anything is fair game right now? I, one of the things that I think is important for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and for people of color uh, and others to be able to do at Purdue to have a sense of belonging is to live out loud, to be able to live affirmatively. Mm -hmm. There is so much about the culture here that is embracing, and there's yet too much that is not embracing. I want and I do because I am who I am at this point in my life. But I want every black person to be able to be here and be proud. Mm -hmm. I want 
every LGBTQA person to find their space, mm-hmm. right? I want our our Jewish friends, our mm-hmm. brothers and sisters, to be able to walk in the dignity and the strength of uh, their humanity. We say that that's able to happen, right? right? We commit ourselves to that. And yet there are cultural strictures that are not fully affirming uh, of that. I want us to recognize that we are a global university, not just a university that's in the middle of corn and soybean fields, right? I want us to act like it and be fully embracing of our uh, individual and collective humanity. I want us to think bigger than we may see, to imagine possibilities that have not been drawn out, to create spaces afresh. I want us to be alive. I want us to remember our history, right? The richness, the the depth and the dignity of our history. And I want us to create a new history, right? I want us to all be participants in this change moment. Not simply participant observers, but participants in the nurturing of a great university. Purdue has all of the ingredients necessary to be triumphant in this space. Let's help it get there. John Gates, Purdue's Vice Provost for Diversity and Inclusion, speaking with LaVon Esters, Associate Dean of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion here in Purdue Polytechnic. The Census Bureau projects that by 2044, the population of the United States will have shifted to what's being called majority-minority. Dr. Gates has said that conversations about belonging and inclusion are important because now is the time to prepare for the future that we know is coming. Learn more about Purdue's Vice Provost for Diversity and Inclusion by going online to polytechnic.purdue.edu slash techies today and look for the hot links under episode 18. Techies Today is produced at Purdue University in Purdue Polytechnic's Office of Marketing Communications. Follow our college on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at TechPurdue. You can send us email to techiestoday at purdue.edu. I'm John O, editor and producer of our show. Thanks for listening. That's what's happening for Techies Today.